Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 124, Revisiting the Color of Truth. Some mistake. Biggest mistake you'll ever make, boy. Ain't that right, Toad? Right as rain, Billy Joe. All right, you two. Why don't you just cut it out? I don't want to spend the afternoon cleaning up blood, do I, Jesse? Uh, no, you don't. So why don't you just take Miss Melanie's lunch and get before these boys lose what little control they have? I didn't know exactly where I was, but it was obviously too far south to be a black man. Jesse! Jesse Tyler! You come over here this instant. Maybe all I'm here to do is help a little old lady across the street. Hi, Sam. <laughs> well? Well, what? What do you think? Well, what do I think about what? I'm black. You're black, so? So, if I can bounce into a black man, the possibilities are limitless. Don't you find that fascinating? Dangerous, yes. Fascinating, that's a mess. Dangerous? Why Dangerous. You're a black man in the South in 1955. Trust me, that is dangerous. What does Ziggy say I have to do to leap? Mrs. Melanie Elizabeth Charlotte Trafford was killed when her car was struck and demolished by a passenger train at that crossing. Tomorrow afternoon at 5.18. No. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I seem to recall that some of the very first protests started right Right near here. What if that's what I'm here to do? What, get involved in the civil rights movement? Uh, no, Sam, I don't think so. Why not? That's why you're here. To save Miss Melody from being killed tomorrow afternoon by the Alabama and Pacific. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we return to the classic series. Hello, Whoa. not a novel, not a reboot episode, it existed. but classic <laughs> this quantum is wild. leap back in the house, yo. This feels was. weird now. Right? Nineteen eighty nine. Who talks about this old stuff anymore? Different Certainly not well, the us. The fact that it's going back to the classic stuff and season one. 
You right? know, like we're going back to, to baby stages with Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about seminal Quantum Leap. I think right. Color of Truth, which is um, what we're talking about today, is probably the first episode, I believe, that made Quantum Leap into the show it would become. Yeah, I I think that this was the testing ground for will this kind of Quantum Leap work, where it centers on issues and... um topics that are, are more difficult, I guess. Uh, the episodes before this uh, weren't like this. Um, and because this was so successful, I think that's why in season two, you kept seeing him leap back into Jesse at the end. <laughs> um, because they would show this episode a lot because uh, it was so well received. Yeah. And this was apparently one of the reasons season two even happened. It was very much on the bubble at this point. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Matt, do you have a count in Beyond the Mirror Image of how many times Sam leapt into Jesse? Is it more or less times than he leapt into Lee Harvey Oswald? That's what I mean. It's less times. It's uh, we 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 joke about it, but it's uh, it's not actually as many times as we think. So in season in season two, he officially leapt out in uh, at the end of All Americans, but they did have an attempt at the end of oh, I want to say Americanization of Machico. Um, and that was the one that ended up getting uh, preempted because of coverage of the earthquake that was happening, which huh. is another tie-in to the new series. There you go. So it all comes around. Wait, the the San Francisco earthquake? Yeah. So Americanization wow. of Machico ended with the leap into Color of Truth, which was due to air 18th of October, 89, which was like the day after the San Francisco earthquake or two days after. Whoa. So they skipped it. And then the next week was what price Gloria, and then and so that was, although yeah, we joke about the uh, the fact that he kept leaping into Jesse, but one of them was because they had to put the color of truth repeat back to later in the season. Oh, so that so it ended up happening cool. after all Americans. Yeah, for uh, for people who don't know, maybe you're uh, you haven't listened to older podcasts, you need a refresher. Um, when they were doing season two, they aired season one episodes alongside it, so some of the endings were changed into season one endings because that was what was going to be airing the next week. So that's why uh, if you're looking at your Blu-rays or you're streaming or wherever, um, sometimes Sam just leaps into the same people again. Including Jesse several times. Including Jesse. Because in that <laughs> the reason it happened so much with him was because that was so well received. Mm. Like this was the episode that kind of pushed yeah. it into this is what Quantum Leap is going to be. Um, and this was the first time that he leaped into anyone who wasn't just a, a straight white guy as well. So it was really like a a shift in what the show was doing. Yeah. And it's it's funny to me. Um, did they ever go back on the DVD releases? Or I guess I would have to check on the streaming releases as well. Although I think I already know the answer to this. And change those leap outs so that they match the next leap? Or do we just get a leap out into Jesse, say, if you're watching it on Peacock, and then he comes up as, uh, you know, the great Spontini or something? I think the only ones that changed it were the, the British VHSs, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. so the, the the British VHS is, uh, uh, because the, the VHS releases were just of select episodes, so they, all, yeah, they, they fixed them, even though the American VHSs didn't. Um, seasons four and five... Uh, are all fixed for every release. Seasons oh, they were they were different when they originally aired on seasons four and five. Uh, yeah, because se seasons four and five did did some repeat leap ins as well. Oh, um, I didn't know that. But they learned yeah, something. Yeah, 
Um, and but seasons one to three uh, on all the all the proper commercial releases, DVD, Blu-ray streaming, uh, are all leaping into repeat. But there have been some slightly dubious attempts to kind of fix them, um, like on ITV HD, which is a UK channel, Sky One, another UK channel. Um, there's been a couple of attempts to to fix them, but not not massively well done. Generally, just by lifting the pre-titles from the following episode and then fading out very quickly before the the opening titles. Yeah, I was going to say some of them, some of the episodes never had a leap out into them, and they weren't structured yeah. for that. You know, because sometimes they're edited down. Um, and significantly, the leap into this episode was edited down, which yeah. uh, which changed some things. Oh yeah. Now, if you guys listened to that that leap in and the mashup you just heard, uh, forgive me for astute listeners out there, huge leapers. You notice that I took a lot of creative liberty with sort of the structure of that leap in because it is not conducive to audio at all. When you get yeah, he out just sits of, down and looks in the yeah. mirror, doesn't he? It's so double identity. It's just him looking in the mirror and then freeze frame on Jesse's face, and then when you have the leap in um, as it exists now on the streaming and the Blu-ray because it was originally the way it was set. It has Sam narrating a lot over everything. So I had to pull like a leap effect from somewhere else and then marry it to um, halfway through the uh, the leap out from Double Identity and then sort of marry that to the leap in in this actual episode to make it make uh, sense in, in an audible fashion. So I, I think yeah, I did Frankenstein all right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was an interesting experience because you get so, I don't know about complacence, but Quantum Leap makes it pretty easy to do um, mashups because they have such a, a rigid format most of the time. Right. You leap in, you got your old boy, you got Sam kind of figuring it out, you got your exposition, this is what you're here to do, this is why, oh no complication, fade to Chris Allison and Matt. You know, um, <laughs> it, it, it usually, it, it takes me a little while to do it. But it's it's not especially difficult. Oftentimes, it's a lot of fun, and this is the first time I've had to I've had to figure it out. Yeah, and it's usually it, they usually conclude things before an ad break, and you're like, okay, brr, that's where <laughs> that's where you end it. That's what <laughs> right. you need to sift through. I got this. Yeah, but yeah. they I mean they had they did it different in season one. They didn't even have the oh boys or anything. Sometimes you, you know you know how to end on an oh boy. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, this one was uh, was an interesting one because um, at the end of Double Identity, there's the episode before this. Uh, Sam leaps in, and he is already seated at the counter, and he's a black man sit in the Fifty South, sitting at a segregated diner, and that's significant. Um, and when he leaps in in this episode, he is standing up, and he decides to sit down. So in the uh, the leap out in uh, Double Identity. Jesse was the one that sat yeah. down, not Sam. It's so a that huge really difference. changes. Right. Yeah. That changes the context, you know. I never because even sometimes that. Yeah. Sometimes when you um when you watch episodes of Quantum Leap, you think like when Sam's doing something really significant that puts himself in danger, um it also puts the person he leaped into into danger. So it's like what do they think about these particular topics? Like um would Jesse be the type of person who would sit at a segregated diner or would would take a stand um, where it puts him and his family in danger? Or is he the type of person who'd be like, I don't want to be involved with this because Sam sort of involves these characters in things that affect them beyond when Sam is there. So it's, it's kind of interesting to think, would Jesse be that kind of person? 
I'd never considered that. And I had, you know, you know what? I, I didn't make the distinction of the leap in from double identity and the fact that it puts the, the accountability on Jesse. And this is something that he would have done because Sam just finds himself there as opposed to what we see. But you need the whole narration, I guess, because the show is still in early days. So he has to talk about how leaping is affecting him and what leaping's like. And then he sits down and then yeah. – Well, I mean, I yeah. don't think they were thinking about it that way. I think they just cut it down for time for yeah. the leap oh, out. No, obviously, yeah. But I mean, it does, as you say, Allison, change the entire connotation. And I had never even considered that. So that's one to grow on. That's really something to chew on. Yeah, huh. and like um it also makes you wonder about um in shock theater one of the people one of the personas that Sam takes on again is Jesse. Um depending on how you interpret that too, like is he actually pulling things from the people he's leaped into or he's just filling in the gaps himself? If it's something from Jesse, it seems like he is someone who got involved with civil rights movement stuff later on and and would stand up for himself because he does say things about like I sat at the counter because I was hungry, things shouldn't be about color of skin, etc. So, yeah, kind of interesting analyzing who Jesse is. Yeah. Well, I mean, so um, just like th this episode, we, we've we gone off format a bit. We still haven't even gotten to initial impressions yet, and we're about uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. 15 minutes in. <laughs> we could we chop it up, mash it up, <laughs> Frankenstein it. Uh, no, we'll just let it flow, let it flow. Okay. You're all so interesting and brilliant, Allison. Initial impressions of The Color of Truth. Yeah, this is a great episode. Um, it's an early episode. It's still got some season one stuff going on in it. Um, but yeah, it's great. And uh, you can really see it shaping the path that uh, Quantum Leap would take. Matthew Dale. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an insightful episode, um, particularly for someone like me that grew up in, in the UK in a very white community. It really gets you thinking. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's dramatic. It has, has some funny moments it's yeah there's there's very little bad to say about this episode um yeah good solid entry i agree with both of you if i was going to sit somebody down and tell them this is what quantum leap is i would probably have color of truth the first one they watch uh, maybe yeah. black on white on fire i'm not sure but i think that they're both amazing episodes and this one really did pave the way for that issues oriented um just that quantum leap would eventually take on. And uh, I think it's better for it. But um, my initial impression uh, upon watching this episode was I was infuriated. I was absolutely mm. infuriated by the casual hatred and racism yeah. that you see right off the bat. And it never bothered me that much before because it was such – it was history. It was an academic point. Of course, that's the way the South was in the 50s. That's what a black man would face in the 50s. But with the current toxic environment here in the States and the way all of this stuff that we thought was just like parables of the past that we've learned from has come back to the fore as significant social issues due to the presidency yeah. of that toxic bag of shit Donald Trump and the way he normalized <laughs> – all of this stuff again and made it okay for some segments to come out and be hateful and to be bigoted and to be racists. And the fact that we're fighting all of this bullshit anew, it just, yeah. I, I, I like, I was so gripped by anger. Mm. Like, how are we still fucking here after yeah. all of this? And uh, it, 
goes to prove what Deborah said when we interviewed her, when she played this for some kids and, you know, he sat down at the lunch counter and she had to sort of teach kids history. And then she said, we need Quantum Leap now again more than ever. And yeah. man, she, she was right. I'm like shaking. I'm so angry. Yeah. I'm just so so ashamed of where we've come and the way the political tides and the social tides have turned in this country. So I'll try not to stalt box this time, but it was such, (laughs) I had never felt this visceral reaction to watching quantum leap before. It it feels uh, as a, as I say, as sort of a semi outsider, it, it feels like in 1989, they were able to, make this episode as a just like you said chris a a look how far we've come and things have wound back a little bit since then do you think that's right or is as someone who who lived through 1989 was was the episode maybe just a little bit naive and optimistic um, as someone who's lived through 1989 i will say that i thought that the episode was again more of like like uh an object lesson mm. in racism okay. and how far we've come since then because it takes place at the at, i guess the, like it was the nascent days of the civil rights movement and then you had um you know civil rights legislation that passed after the kennedy assassination that sort of did away with a lot of this stuff officially but i think that i'm just some entitled white jerk who doesn't really think about it beyond it being a historical point and it's always been here it's still here it was always still here i'm just now noticing it because i picked my head up so i i can't answer that except to say um in my experience it went from the thing you said in the beginning to um something that i find much more uh, salient and much more relevant to the times that we're in now because I'm paying attention. Yeah. I think it's always been that way. And this, this is something that I also have to stop myself from because a lot of times I will get these realizations, you know, Mr. Big Dope late to the party. All of a sudden I realize, holy crap, this is what, you know, people who aren't like me go through every day. And then I say, how are you not walking around in like just this red haze of anger? And I thought for a long time that that's, it would just be naturally the way somebody would feel when confronted with stuff like this. And then I realized that's still me speaking from my position of privilege because I expect to be, you know, respected. I expect to be listened to. Someone that comes up in this kind of system, they don't have that same expectation. Maybe that's why, you know, it doesn't pay to be angry all the time because it is just the way it is and you have to change things in a different Mm. way. I'm feeling this anger because it affects how I would, you know, want to be treated because I'm always treated, you know, the way society is set up to treat me, uh, you know, with, with my privilege, with my authority. So it brings up like a lot of stuff. I mean, the show is just brilliant because it makes you look inside as much as it makes you look around and out and at other people. It makes you just, you know, you have to sit, you have to analyze everything that you feel and it's just like this was just an hour-long network drama in 1989 and i'm sitting here like like i said shaking from just the emotion that it's brought up so again i'll try not to soapbox on this but man i just the more you learn the more you realize how much you have to learn it's it's insane it's insane it's it's always an evolution anyway i try to make it an evolution (sighs) okay chris is gonna breathe now (laughs) I don't think that this episode was trying to say 
look how far we've come, that era is over kind of thing. I mean, like, um, I think it's significant that they mention other significant events in civil rights movements that happen later on, um, the fact that it's still ongoing. Uh, I think, like, it's just racism never goes away. It just takes on different forms. Like, racists feel much more emboldened now to say um, the quiet part out loud. You know, like there's lots of a lot of racism is systemic. It's microaggressions. It's thing. It's it's white people being in a place of privilege. It's not necessarily overt, like being just a twirly mustache villain racism kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so watching episodes like this, uh, it does help to put things in perspective for people. Um, that wouldn't think about it that way for white people, people that are in a place of privilege. It certainly was like that for Sam because he hadn't thought about the fact that he couldn't just sit at a diner and eat. He didn't think about the fact that he couldn't do certain things because why would you not be able to do that? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that this, this episode was, uh, it was important that this was written by Deborah Pratt and really put her mark on the series, um, and showed her perspective as a black woman, um, writing about black issues. And I think like it's, it's an important lesson for a lot of people that might not think about it the way that you would think if you were not a white person. Now, Matt, you posed the question to me, and um, I can imagine you have a different point of view um, in some ways. Being from the UK, from the outside looking in is is what I mean. So where do you, you know, do you have an evolution with watching this episode from the first time you experienced it? Do you see it differently now than you did then? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think when I, I would have first seen this in the 90s and I was certainly, I was a teenager. I, I was aware of systemic racism. I wouldn't have called it that then, but I, I, I would have been aware of the concept. I definitely would have thought of it as being a thing that mostly happens in America and a thing that mostly happened in the past, both of which are, are wrong. But I think that this episode started to open my eyes to that. As time's gone on and I've interacted with more of a diverse group of society, um, because like I said, I, I grew up in a very white neighborhood and I, I make no apologies for that. We, it just, just means that's, I have a very limited background when it comes to my youth. I think, yeah, I started to appreciate some of the, the problems in the UK. And these days that tends to manifest itself more in Islamophobia than anything else. And when I was watching this episode more recently, it, it's that kind of thing that I was connecting to, not literally the struggles that black people have had, but actually more the kind of the, the parallels with Islamophobia that we have now. And certainly being very much aware of some of the, the, the big newsworthy stuff that is still happening in America, but also, also happening in the UK, um, to maybe a lesser extent. Um, I don't want to play anything down that's happening to my, uh, my friends in this country because I know it's, it's worldwide. Uh, but it is very easy, especially watching an American drama to get sucked into that outside looking in thing. Uh, it's, it's a global topic, but it's, it's something that, yeah, over the last 20 years of experiencing this episode, 
I have become more aware of that. And like Chris, I've become more angry and enraged by that over time as I've realized that this is, this is something that as the, the privileged white guy, I've not been as aware of as I could have been. Hmm. You saying not being as aware of as you could have been, that's where I think I find myself if I think about myself in those days. And I'll tell you why. Um, when this episode first came out, um, I don't think I was a Quantum Leap fan, but as I got to know the show, because um, I got on like season three, I got to see stuff about Sam's Leaps. Like, um, And Color Truth came up a lot because it was, you know, uh, on the talk shows, I think he was talking to Jay Leno about it on The Tonight Show, or you guys can correct me, but – at the time, I was thinking, why are they making such a big deal <laughs> right. at the, at, about the fact that he's leapt into a black man? I mean, yeah, we're, we're past all that. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a big deal. You're just – you're making a big deal to what? Make ratings? And I almost felt like Al in the episode because he's completely nonplussed. Sam's like, I've leapt into – if I if I can bounce into a black man, and he's like, yeah, w- w- big deal. Who cares? You know, it's so, so you're a black man. Like – and that's the way I felt. Why is it such a great big deal? Of course he can, you know, leap into a black person. Of course he can. He can leap into anybody. So why is it a big deal that he he's made this leap into a black man? And now I'm like, oh, oh, of course, because dope. Yeah, it's not about you, you know, and it's not about you know your your headspace. It's about what it means to other people, what it means for representation, and you know, combating the always always the struggle, you know, always overcoming and. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, uh, again, um, big episode, but let's drill down into it a, a little bit. I mean, I have just the obvious talking points. We have um, civil rights and the casual racism and the hatred and the murder and I guess ultimately changing minds. But um, one thing that I was really struck by, it was in Sam's almost his opening narration when he gets out of the out of the diner um he says that he feels comfortable having leapt into jesse of all the people i've leaped into jesse should have been the strangest but there was something very comfortable about it like putting on a pair of your favorite shoes or a jacket you've broken in just right that made me sit back and think this is something that again we didn't see in subsequent leaps and subsequent seasons um the fact that sam could feel comfortable in somebody and less comfortable in somebody else, aside from say like the obvious thing, say if he's a woman and he's got the high heels on or just the whole with the anatomy and all that. But did you guys notice that? Because I was thinking about, I guess the book that we read, I, it might've been Melanie Rowan's Nights of the Morning Star, where she intimates that leaping might be a painful experience for Sam. And I never considered that. And just like that, I never considered that Sam could feel more comfortable in certain leapies than others. I, I've honestly never been able to quite wrap my head around that line. I find it an interesting line, but I've never quite been able to pass it. And I, I think you've you've maybe come <laughs> or you've helped me come part of the way towards getting it. Uh but yeah, I noticed that line and I noticed it because it, it sticks out for me every time as something that t- just doesn't quite make sense to me. I find it kind of interesting that uh, when Sam leaps into Jesse, uh, mostly he just thinks it's cool. Mm. Like he's like, I'm <laughs> I'm black. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because he's like, well, this is, I mean, this opens up so many possibilities because he, he never leaped into anyone who wasn't a white guy before. So he's he's really excited about this and the fact that he's so comfortable with him, he's not really seeing 
the differences between, you know, leaping into a white person versus a black person. And maybe that's part of how kind of naive he is in this episode until he experiences racism until he realizes that's the difference yeah you know maybe they were trying to say like he didn't think it was weird that he was in a black guy he wasn't like oh no i'm in a black guy what now i don't know maybe that was what the line was getting at at the risk of going soapboxing again that is surely uh the the perfect way of explaining white privilege to the audience this is he he as, as a white guy you might think hey yeah it'd be cool to live as a black guy for a couple of days in the south why not yeah yeah but you because you're not yeah because you're not <laughs> you living the the life you know you're just like yeah I'm gonna put them on like a pair of old shoes right you know yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah that's kind of interesting and um I think that's uh, you know people have talked about we certainly talked about how sometimes this show can be a little bit white saviory but I do think the fact that Sam is a white person being treated exactly like a black person drives the point home how ridiculous racism is. You know, he's he's not a black guy. It shouldn't matter if he's a black guy, but they're treating him different because they see him differently. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, it it sort of it the the other scene that made me realize that it's just that it's something that he would do without even thinking about it, much like sitting at the counter is when he's outside and he's flustered and he's hot and he just he gets a drink of water and he, he splashes mm-hmm. his right. face and then you see that it's a whites only fountain and everybody who sees him is just taken aback. And again, Jesse never would have done that because Jesse would have been cognitive of all the social cues around him and even if not, mm-hmm. he would have read or they said he couldn't read, but he, couldn't he read, would have but... known, you know, like a blacks only entrance uh, or whites only entrance blacks in the rear. I saw some of the signs that were around, but yeah. Sam being Sam would not even be cognizant that he would have to register something like that. And it just struck me again. It's just like the privilege just goes down and down and down. It's it's just something that is so unconscious that you take it for granted. And because it's invisible, like, you know, like like the air we breathe, you you just don't even notice it after a while. And it's just like, no, it's here. And it's here in every single insidious way you can think of. Yeah, I mean, you can you can see like little details everywhere through the episode. Like even in the diner, you see like there's signs up there with like you know racist pictures and stuff like mm. that. You know, uh, when when Sam finds out what he's there to do to save Ms. Melanie from the uh, from the train, he still has some pretty lofty goals. <laughs> this yeah. is very Sam. You know, he does <laughs> yeah. this every time. Like he's like, okay, I have this one thing to do. I'm going to save them, right? But what if I could kickstart the civil rights movement while I'm here? What if I what if I ended racism? You think I could do that? <laughs> I love it. And he like the fact that he's the the type of person that wants to try, you know, like you're fighting a whole system. You can't just do one thing and all of a sudden racism is over. <laughs> it's a constant fight. But the fact that he's the the type of character who's like I can do more than just this. Like I can, I can do something really meaningful here. Um is just great. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of a of an episode where you were making fun of some of the more Pollyanna aspects of Sam's character. This was years ago, but you just basically said, um, "This is Sam. Today I'll solve racism forever." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which one you know, was that? It feels like everyone. Even... He's like, "I'm going to solve racism forever," but <laughs> he's just he's such a do gooder. Yeah, and also the fact that like Al is is a more cynical kind of person. Like he's like, look. 
it's great that you want to do this, but you can't just change everything with, like as one person in one leap. Um, but Al is still very much involved with this kind of stuff too. It's not like he's saying like you can't do anything. Like he talks about he marched in Selma. He's got a lot of black friends. Besides, I was here. I went on the marches and got arrested and beaten. Saw a lot of good people fall. Those were powerful days. I feel like that's an aspect of Al's character that that didn't come up very much. He was very much involved with the the civil rights movement. Yeah, mm. that surprised me because I didn't remember it, and um, I don't recall it coming up in subsequent leaps. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever brought up again, really. Right? You think it would have been brought up in Black on White on Fire because that yeah. was another one that just dealt, you know, directly with with mm. the effects of racism. But yeah, you guys would have to tell me. I'm pretty sketchy on the early episodes. And uh, if you can't think of one, I certainly don't know of any. Nah. Yeah, I do like when he says, like, uh, a lot of my friends are black, and then Sam gets offended. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you, can't said, believe that. you said that. <laughs> I don't believe you said that, Al. <laughs> it was such a wonderful counterpoint um, to Sam's lofty ideals for Al to say, look, you know, you can't do it. It, it takes it takes a movement, basically. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen things that would curl your hair. I've seen things that you wouldn't <laughs> believe. Yeah. Um, no pun intended, of course, is what he said on that. But it was just the counterbalance of him saying, I know you're a Boy Scout and I know you want to do good, but it's a struggle. And it, it it's, it's not going to be an easy struggle. And trust me, I was there for a lot of it. And I wish that they had um, kept that aspect of Al's character in play more in the series, explored it a little bit more in the series, because I think that would have been really interesting to see not just Sam's going in and try to fix something, but how someone who wants to be an ally can actually work to affect change. And I think they yeah. were doing a lot of that with uh, Miss Melanie's character arc here, with the journey she was on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, just again a lot of uh, a lot of neat stuff to dig into. The the episode works on so many different levels. So uh, I feel like I I, uh, <laughs> I got all my stuff out, and I've got to figure out where to go. I Good. apologize. Oh, um, here's here's a part uh, spinning off of some of the conversations Sam and Al have. Um, I forget what they're talking about somewhere near the end. Um, but Sam says that Al is sounding paranoid. Yes. And, um, yeah. And he's like, well, how do you think I live this long? And I was thinking about in the last episode, Search and Rescue, uh, you were asking if Al was a paranoid character. And uh, there it is. Confirmation. Paranoid. Because <laughs> that he lives a long time. <laughs> Melissa Crandall, you've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I have not made that connection. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it it stuck out like a sore thumb because I just edited the Search and Rescue show, <laughs> yeah, Matt. Right. You can be forgiven. We retaped that show about six months ago, it feels like. So <laughs> if you hadn't listened back to uh, to the final product, you probably wouldn't remember. But that's something that did come up in Search and Rescue, oh, Al, cool. saying that he was, he's got uh, PTSD and that he's paranoid. Mm. So here we go. This is how he's lived that long. I also like that uh, Al is the type of person to say, squished by a choo-choo. <laughs> when describing someone hit by a train they're here to save Scarlett O'Hara there from getting squished by a choo-choo how many times did an old person get hit by a train in this show potentially because there was Future Boy and there was this was there more I think that's it but in a show that only ran 90 odd episodes that's that's a statistically unlikely amount of old people 
I think there was another train incident with uh, Leap of Faith, but it didn't involve an old person. But definitely, like, more train choo-choo squishings than you would imagine <laughs> happen <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> I do like when Al says squish by choo-choo. He is delivering sad news. Like, he doesn't even say it like he's trying to be funny. He just says it like squish by a choo-choo. And Sam almost says it back and gets annoyed. Like, <laughs> he almost says squish by a choo-choo. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys know if that was in the script or is that something that Dean just did? I think do it was we even have a color of truth script? I'm sure. It oh, is, we've, yeah. we've we got do. these scripts. Yeah. I'm, I'm just checking, but I'm sure that that sounds like something that could have been. I think that was just a, a bit of colorful dialogue there. Um, I, the one significant difference I remember from the script is that um, during the climax, when Al is uh, trying to get through to Ms. Melanie while she's driving toward the train. Uh, some of the language in the script, I'm like, you couldn't do this on television and prime time. Like, you couldn't say these words. <laughs> well, do you recall the words? I think it just said, like, gee, damn it, or something like that. Like, it's just like, that's not, you can't say that on TV. But, like, I was like, why did they script that? Because they surely would have known that that couldn't be said. Yeah. While we're talking about script differences, at some point we do need to talk about the ending. Oh, is the ending different? It's been a while since I read it. Oh, uh, it's one of the season one ones that ends with a leap out to an episode that never happened. Oh, I see. <gasps> oh. They did this a few times, and this is the one that leaps out to him uh, leaping into a pimp. <laughs> Big Ben. Can you imagine if they'd ended this with that, though? Like, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like the ratings that like all all of the ratings that they got from this to like save it for season two would have like tanked it and then we wouldn't have gotten any more quantum leap if it had ended with that. <laughs> Alright, we've gone through some quite heavy stuff already. Shall I just lighten the mood a little bit by by reading the script extract? Uh, Do it. <laughs> quantum leap two, close on Sam. Hitting the ground butt first, his eyes flash in a moment of reorientation. Wider angle. He sits in a white tux and a large feather-laden fedora, facing eight of the most gorgeous women imaginable, each dressed more provocatively than the next. There is a beat of surprise, and they all rush to help him, each cooing his name as they help him to his feet. Girls ad lib. Ben, baby, super stud, are you all right? Voluptuous, voluptuous blonde. Did Big Ben fall and hurt Dr. Wad? He looks around at the tacky but lush apartment. He scrambles to his feet and searches for a mirror. The whole place is done in gold-veined mirrors. One look tells it all. Sam throws his hands to the sky. Sam, incredulously, I'm a pimp! (laughs) (laughs) Freeze frame. Wow. Embarrassment. Just embarrassment. So hashtag problematic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even when they eventually, you know, they did the Cat House episode, it was not as <laughs> a broad of a caricature as that. I do think it's funny he's named Ben in that. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really cross my Big mind. Ben. <laughs> did he fall down and hurt his, was it his wad? Dr. Wad. Dr. Wad. Is that his penis? Capital D, capital W. I don't, I, I guess. Or is that the roll of money in his pocket? <laughs> or is that a dog in the in the apartment? Does he have a dog named Doctor Wad that he might have landed on? I feel I feel like this is a colorful euphemism. <laughs> All right, this this is a reason to get Deborah back. Deborah, can you explain what Doctor Wad means? <laughs> yeah, we're doing color of truth. We only have one question, Deborah Pratt, writer of Color of Truth. Uh, Doctor Wad, what was that about? So, question. No, this this leads to a legitimate question. Did the person who wrote 
the leap that you see on the air necessarily write the leap in that another writer would have written. So do they tack on another writer's oh boy to the end of somebody else's script or is that all Deborah all the time? It's a good Hmm. question because the leap outs usually, I mean, no one's, they don't have two writers credited for episodes usually unless they wrote the whole episode. They don't usually credit the leap out writer. And from season two onwards, the scripts only ever have the, they don't have the leap out portions with a couple of exceptions um the season three and four finales both because they're cliffhangers um right they they both have them but this thing of having actual scripted leap outs as part of the script is only a season one thing so no i I gotta think that they're completely separate productions and then uh, including the writing and um, okay and they're just dropped in in the edit but gotcha gotcha so yeah that makes a lot more sense because that it does pose an interesting question to the writers guild you know (laughs) who gets credit (laughs) for how long does it have to be on screen the whole nine yards but yeah uh, i mean we're talking about a one minute clip maximum usually so i guess that's not not enough to gain a co-writing credit interesting yeah, they probably worked it out in the writer's room at that point saying, just forget about it. You know, it's you, you don't have to worry about the leap after this one. We'll, we'll fix it in post, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just looking at the rundown here. This is unrelated to that, but I see <laughs> the date is August 8th. Is that Sam's birthday? Yeah. yeah. That is Sam's birthday. Sam would have been two years old. He leaped in on his old. birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Sam. <laughs> You're going to end <laughs> racism forever. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and for my birthday, I shall end racism forever. He was in Red Dog, Alabama, I believe, right? Yeah. It's not a good place to spend your second birthday. I'm trying to think of like what he would have been doing at this point. He was two years old. He's genius Sam. Would he be learning to read at this point? Yeah, he would have been reading because I believe in Honeymoon Express, he talks about being two and his mom giving him a book to read or something. Genius little he was, Sam. He was, he was reading, you know, quantum physics for babies. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was tinkering around with some time machine toys. Let's, let's have a look. Um, oh, yeah. And it, he, he takes his first train ride. Uh, that's another thing from Honeymoon Express. Uh, he's aged, Train. It all connects. He's age two. He's taking a train ride. He was on that damn train. <laughs> Yeah, all we know is that he takes his first train ride and it's so terrifying for him that, of course, it's terrifying. They kill an old lady. Because they killed her. They squished her with the choo-choo. It all connects. (laughs) Happy birthday, Sam. Oh, goodness. Oh, God, this show is amazing. I can't believe we we made that. Nobody in the history of Quantum Leap has made that connection ever before. You're welcome, world. Take that fate wide wheel. I bet you didn't think about that, huh? <laughs> I asked that because I was going to have a very young Sam um, for a book that I never got to write because the, the series ended. And who knows if they would have bought it anyway. But I was going to pose the leap in a very specific way where Sam was very young, with a very young, young Sam. So it, it's just like, oh, what was he doing at two years old? Would he have been too old at that point? Because he's so freaking smart for what I had in mind. I'll explain that to you one day when we uh, do foreknowledge. Um, what my grand idea was for my second Quantum Leap novel. Yeah, write out a script for it in the, as an episode. Yeah, I have another one. Two years for actually. When's the next leap day? Twenty twenty four. Yeah, that sounds right. Some people know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Who knows? People that are smart. If it's divisible by four. 24 is divisible by four. So, yeah. There we go. Makes sense. So there we go. So maybe I'll have a script ready by 2024. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe I'll have to en- enlist Ziggy's help and uh, rest control of her control mouse. Because I have a knot in my stomach and it's bigger than Ziggy's control mouse. I had a knot in my stomach the size of Ziggy's control mouse. Yeah, what? That's so funny to think about them using a big old mouse for Ziggy. <laughs> it's funny thinking of Ziggy with a mouse, period, because, you know, we have in our minds what it looks like later on in the show. But obviously they wouldn't have conceived of it that way. We're we're back in the days of, like, calculator handling. So I wonder what, yeah. if anything, they, they thought the project might have looked like. Ziggy was just running off a dust prompt at this point, probably. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what a control mouse is. I wonder if, uh, you know, it's probably a blessing in disguise that we never got to see, like, the control mouse, uh, because I've been editing together the bonus show that we did um, reviewing the pilot script for 2022. And if you guys recall, as part of that pilot script, Addison in the imaging chamber is wearing, like, Oculus glasses oh, yeah. to see right. the 3D. Right. We shit all over that idea. I, I believe it was the description saying straight from the mind of Elon <laughs> Musk that uh, that was part of the offense. <laughs> yes, yes, that was part of it. But I also think it would have dated it horribly. It would have felt like that gif from uh, Murder, She Wrote, where she's wearing the VR glasses, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Imagine Ziggy with a control mouse and how poorly that would have aged had we ever seen it. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just one um, one thing uh, that was part of the lore. I think another thing that we see for the very first time in this episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al getting centered in on somebody independent of Sam. Is this the first time we see him away from Sam's side for an extended period of time? Uh Definitely for an extended period. Um, yeah, I don't know if we've had that much just centered on him by himself, aside from the pilot. This is the first time that he says, center me in on. This is the first time he says those words. Oh, he, he says, Gushy, tell Ziggy to center me yes. on Ms. Melanie or I'll smash your brains off. <laughs> Do it, Gushy, damn it, or I'll smash your brains off. I'll smash your brains off. <laughs> off. Smash your brains off. It's such a weird way to say it. <laughs> Uh, that's great. And it, yeah, because it's the first time they did it, they didn't really know what that's supposed to look like. Uh, so he, yeah, he starts running down the road and then slowly dissolves out. Yeah. Which is yeah. weird because in the pilot, uh, I believe it was the pilot, Sam asks uh, Al to, to fade in instead of just yes. uh, blinking in. And he says, like, will you tell me how to fade in agitated carbon quarks or whatever? And then you know, yep. whatever. <laughs> so apparently they found out how to fade them out anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it was odd to me, too, because that was another scene where I was thinking, how big is that freaking imaging chamber? Because by the time right? he fades out, he's yes. like a speck on the horizon. <laughs> I, I love his little run. He's like lifting his hand up like he's calling a cab or something as he's like running down the road. <laughs> this is great. Um, Al saves the day. He's, he solves the leap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of it anyway. I have I have whole headcanon about this. So you guys tell me your theories. Like, so did Melanie hear him? She did. Well, she said yeah. there's no need to swear. I would f- it would feel very specific if she didn't actually hear him. I think it's it goes hand in hand. This is the first instance of them showing that people who mentally are a little off can mm-hmm. can see him or hear him. 
Hmm. Maybe it also could have had something to do with um, there was the the guy in Portrait for Troyan who could hear Al for some reason. He had like special hearing of some yeah. sort. Um, and she seems to have pretty good hearing in this too. There's a few times in the episode where she hears people in the other room and they didn't think that she could hear them. So yeah, true. It's it could be <laughs> one or both or nothing. <laughs> yeah, the question I have about that is because I thought. Honestly, that she was stone deaf because in the scene in the cemetery, she's just sitting on a bench with her back to Sam and Sam is about four and a half feet away having this animated conversation <laughs> with Al about being in a black man and we can do well, anything. Apparently, and, she heard that whole thing because she was yeah, hearing she all this other stuff. and She, she didn't <laughs> react. I thought she was deaf. And then she's just like, well, I heard that. I heard that faucet drip in the kitchen. It's like, huh? All right. Yeah, I wonder if because they're very specific. There's like a a few instances in the script where they specifically say she has really good hearing. So I wonder if that was supposed to set up her hearing Al for some reason. Because she doesn't she she doesn't hear the well she hears the train and she thinks it's something else. But I mean, what else are they setting this up for? The fact that she has this very good hearing. Yeah, I you know the other thing that I, I never thought of like the health issue or she's having these headaches where Sam tries to help her earlier in the episode and she hears like a ringing in her ears and that's why she yeah. thinks the train is the ringing in her ears and maybe that's sort of opening up like possibilities for her to hear other stuff. But I I couldn't help but think of mirror image and again I can't take any quantum leap out of context of the whole series anymore. Because the fact that she could hear Al to me is such an anomaly that they didn't do very much. And when they did do it later in the series, it became a big deal. There was always an in-universe reason as to yeah, why yeah. somebody could see him or hear him. They were a kid. They were an animal. Uh, they had the same neurons and mesons, very similar to Sam, blah, blah, blah. Just go with me here. One of Sam's first leaps, um, GTFW at this point still sort of directing his hand where he should go. Um, you're here to save Ms. Melanie. Sam, okay, uh, I guess I can save Miss Melanie, but I'm in the South in the 50s. Let's solve racism forever. GTFW <laughs> says, all right, wait a minute. And then Sam actually starts to work towards that end. And it gets to the point where that loftier goal becomes at odds with the um, the original leap goal. So Sam is necessarily out of the action because of everything that's happening with Nell. So GTFW is just like, I didn't expect you to be this damn ambitious. All right, we're going to center Al in on <laughs> Melanie. I'll do something so that she can hear him. Sam, I got your beer on this part of the leap. You go, <laughs> you solve race. You think you can solve racism? God bless Sam, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, there's, wow. there's been quite a few leaps where it's like there the goal isn't necessarily the entire goal. So it, it's possible it was just secondary or primary or whatever. He also um, was getting Miss Melanie to change her mind and yeah. just do one thing to shift things forward. Not necessarily solve racism forever, but just make one change um, in these people's lives. And uh, I mean, you could headcanon why she hears Al several different ways. I think the fact that she has good hearing or seems to have something going on in her head is consistent with other instances where people could see or hear Al. So you could headcanon that easily. And they didn't know that at this point, that that's what they could do. So it's kind of interesting seeing them discovering that through the episode. Like, uh, yeah, I really liked um, that they had Al saving the day while Sam was working on this this other thing. He was in jail at the moment, but, you know, he's kind of written out of the episode. And it was uh, 
I don't I don't want to say jarring, but it was interesting because prior to this, they hadn't really done anything like that. Like Sam's in every scene and all of a sudden he's written out. And then Al's like, what, <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Chasing the car down. So yeah, and it, it's it's interesting when Sam leaves and it holds on Al too. And he's just hanging out watching people as Ms. Melanie leaves and is um, talking mm. to Nurse Pratt. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Nurse Pratt. Pig butt. Pig butt here turned them in. Yeah, pig butt. Oh, that's great. What does pig butt mean? <laughs> <laughs> Ask Al Calavici. He's a, she's a pig butt. I, I love these TV <laughs> swears. <laughs> what a mind cuss that is. Uh, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's funny also, um, speaking of mind cuss, um, evoking uh, Quantum Leap 2022. I was quite frankly astounded at how long they lingered on Sam making chitlins. Just <laughs> the length of that character beat, how disgusted he was, the time they took to luxuriate yeah. and build Al's character. And I'm thinking this would never have, you know, this would have been cut in 2022. Definitely. They wouldn't even yeah. have written it because they just mm. don't have time for this kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, they don't have time for this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's establishing Jesse and his family and their relationship and and what Jesse's life is like. And um, yeah, I like that scene. I like that Sam mentions in the narration um, that it smells like something that was left too long, uh, like left out too long in autopsy class or yeah. something. <laughs> which I guess he must have had to take an autopsy class if he's a doctor. Is that part of it? Yeah, of course. Work with with bodies. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he, uh, yeah, he mentions that Al loves chitlins. Um. <laughs> you get uh, interactions very handy with his family. Um. Michael D. Roberts as Willis, uh, his son. He was uh, he was in the show again in uh, Leap Between the States as Isaac King. Makes a man feel like a king. Makes a man feel like a king. He's a good actor. And I liked Willis's turn in this because, again, you're on the side of Sam. Um, if you're a white dope like me, you're on the side of, yeah, we're going to get justice. We're going to do this. And Willis says, what are you doing? You're putting this whole family in danger. Yeah. And it's yeah. just yeah. like that's another consideration that Sam is Sam. He wouldn't even really be thinking of that because what's right is right. Yeah, he doesn't think yeah. about that, I think, until he sees the, the cross burning in the yard. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. then it's just like, oh, shit, they're going to come and get us. You know, and it's just like. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are things that you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't consider it because you don't have to deal with it. But it's there and it's 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 a big deal. I mean, just sitting in a lunch counter, it's a big fucking deal. It, it's another way that the episode just kind of undercuts all of my assumptions. And it's just like, Christ, I'm an idiot. I'm a dope. <laughs> we also had another returning Quantum Leap alumnus uh, in Sheriff Blount. Who mm -hmm. uh, is played by Royce Applegate? Oh. And that, what other episode was he in? So he reappears in Playball uh, in a small role as the announcer, but uh, he's best known for Sequest, surely. <laughs> I, I loved him in I Sequest. Seen Sequest. I love Sequest. It's amazing. I had oh, no, I, so yeah, good. I didn't realize he was the same guy, but now I can picture it. That announcer <laughs> episode. Yeah. I haven't seen Sequest, but. I, that, that has Ted Raimi in it, so I must see it eventually. <laughs> the first season of Sequest um, has uh, him and John D'Aquino, both of whom got let go at the end of the first season when they decided they only wanted young, sexy actors. Oh, Bummeroonie. Um, well, uh, yeah. Tommy Thompson was one of the showrunners, right? Am I mixing things yeah. up? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's when Tommy left uh, QL. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, get me that announcer from Playball. <laughs> get him on this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, Royce Applegate, who plays the sheriff, I think he did a good job because uh, he, he played a, a POS sheriff. <laughs> you were like, ooh, just the patronizing way that he talks. And he's like, oh, the, them boys, things just got a little out of hand. And he's calling Sam mischievous. a boy, you know, and like, yeah, just these like patronizing little, you know, it's, I don't even know if I can call them microaggressions. It's just aggressions, you know, like, yeah. get out of here. <laughs> Racist sheriff. <laughs> But it's so perfect. It goes back to exactly what you said at the start, Alison, about not having the moustache-twirling racist yeah. villains. Yeah, it's just like that constant just grating, you know, like, yes, where you're like, yeah. shut up, shut up. <laughs> well, you, you did get the mustache-twirling, I think more mustache-twirling in, in Clinton, um, Melanie's son. He played a straight-up asshole. And um, yeah. he, I think, was yeah. meant to just represent the sort of the old establishment because dad was the governor or what was he, the mayor of the town or the governor of the state the or governor. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like this is the way – and Melanie even says it. This is – we do it this way because this is the way it's always been done. Who am I to change it? And, you know, Clinton obviously doesn't want to change it. And that's when that, – that scene in the kitchen – where he's calling him boy and he's using the N-word, those up right. northern N-words and you, you know, you're getting you getting ideas. I know you can't read, so who's telling who's giving you these ideas? Mm. So condescending, yeah. so cruel, and just uh you want Sam to punch him in the face. Like you can see <laughs> Sam is like he's he fighting does. the urge. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, yeah. He walks toward him like he's gonna do something and like no <laughs> yeah. has to calm himself down. Yeah. That moment is so good when Sam just takes a step towards him and Clayton backs off. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it makes it so clear in just that one brief moment that all this hatred is just about fear. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. scared of this old guy who just take, he just takes a step towards him and he's like, whoa, shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, I, I don't know if that came off very um, mustache twirly. I think it was more overt because he wasn't just he didn't want to change things. Like, he was being just a, a racist, you know, like, just all out, like, just like, I, I like, he he was being hateful, you know. And um, I think maybe it was a little more uh, villainous with the, the two sheriff's sons when they're like, we're just going to run someone off the road now. Yeah. Like that was a little more like the, taking action for the climax. Believe it or not, I saw men of two different minds there. And you're supposed to hate them because they are just the the stereotypical heavies, right? Yeah, they're walking around in their, their overalls and I will teach you a lesson. Right, right. <laughs> but you see, um, as things start heating up, Toad is just like, this is going too far. And Billy Joe Bob is like, oh, we're just going to teach him a lesson. We're not going to kill anybody. I ain't killing you. Neville Pressy had to move to Georgia because they're trying to teach that blue ship boy a lesson. Toad, we ain't going to kill him. 
just gonna whack him back into place a little bit. And then they run off the road. Toad is just like, we have to go see if, if they need help. And Billy Joe Bob is just like, nope, gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's a little more cowardly. Um, but he also says like that guy had to leave because he was teaching someone else a lesson. I right. think they're implying that like he killed a black person and then left town and nothing happened to him. You know, he right. But he had to get out of town, so maybe we should think twice. And then if you see at the very end, and believe me, I'm not giving this character any slack. Yeah. It's just some subtlety that I noticed in the portrayal when um, Melanie invites Jesse to sit down at the counter. Um, her son is sitting there eating with the sheriff, with Billy Joe Bob, and with Toad. And three of them look infuriated. Billy Joe Bob even goes to get up and the sheriff pulls him down. But you see Toad looking on, I don't know, like he's questioning. Like mm. like he's thinking about it, not just this sort of blind hatred. And I feel like maybe that was deliberate to to say, look, I mean, if you're going to change minds, this is sort of the way to do it. Not just all out fighting not not violence because violence only begets more violence and that's why it's wonderful that sam actually doesn't punch the guy in the kitchen because it would lead to no good end if you want to foster change lasting change you have to do it this way you have to change minds and violence mm. isn't going to change minds it's just going to entrench people further in their own bigotry their own fear their own hatred so I, I, I picked all of that up with just one stupid look from the guy who played Toad. So good on you, Jeff Tyler. His last name is actually Tyler. Jeff Tyler, for your turn as Toad. <laughs> I think um, by making that difference and making him think about it uh, just by sitting at the counter, that uh, John Lewis called that good trouble, right? Hmm. It reminded me of, um, I think it's uh, a religious order. I used to work for Catholic media and um, I got to be friends with a priest who um, used to do um, a half hour TV show for a sect called the Christophers. And their motto was um, better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. And I was thinking about that when Sam tells Melanie, once you've seen the light, you can't go back into the mm. darkness and she tries she really does and then somehow she has an epiphany in the 23 seconds it takes sam to walk from the car into the diner to pick up her sandwich which <laughs> you know that's a little tv but I, I thought again it was a nice way to say if you want to foster meaningful change there's a better way to go about it mm. a better way to change minds so all right again i know we get we're going heavy light heavy light but um were Al's outfits not spectacular? In I this have a episode. whole section on Al's outfits in this <laughs> good, episode. Good. It was just, it was banger after banger after banger. He's there's this this big pink outfit and silver suspenders he's wearing at the beginning. He's got the the outfit with the white shirt and a red vest when he's chasing down Miss Melanie. That looked quite dapper, uh, and he um. He had this yellow outfit with a long brown trench coat that he I wears in the jail that cell coat. that looks so cool. You oh, got the gold shoes and the silver shoes in one episode. <laughs> Amazing. And him in that red vest is one of the most iconic images from the series because it's in every opening episode. It's when the car drives through him, right? Mm. To oh. establish that he's a hologram. Yeah. So that's, I think, one of the first like real iconic images. FX shots from the series. And I was waiting for it to look like shit because it was, you know, composite on top of composite when they did it on film. But it looks really good on uh, it does, yeah. the version yeah. that I watched. It, it, yeah, it okay. has no no step down at all. So good stuff there. Yeah, I just uh I thought Al looked so cool. 
in that trench coat. And when he's in the jail and they have this this moment, I'm not really sure why they decided to do it. I mean, I guess just to, to drive more of the point of the episode home. But um, when Sam leaves the jail, they hold on Al just standing in the jail cell singing We Shall Overcome. He's singing that to himself and he's like kind of holding his coat and kind of thinking like, I don't know, it just, it was a really good moment. Deep in my arms, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. Again, another beautiful character moment where the, the show is just allowed to breathe. And yeah. to say these are who these people are, and um, you know, you you know Sam and Al, especially Al, I believe so much better, so much better after this episode because it's not just like the cartoony Italian stuff from Double Identity, it's not just <laughs> the data dump stuff from the first few episodes. I, I feel like we get to know him more as a serious character in this episode. Yeah, I think like this this was a good example too of them doing a serious episode, but they they haven't lost any of their humor or any of their like lighter touches. Like it's not like it's just all serious all the time. Yeah. Like so it just feels like it's a, you know, it's a it's a world where other characters I- exist in their lives and lighter things are happening and it's not just everything's like sad and i don't know it just makes it feel like more rounded that way i think i don't know if i'm explaining it that well but <laughs> no no it does you see these people as more than just um their purpose mm. on the leap yeah you get to know them as people yeah yeah okay i wanted to note sam gets extra southern in this episode <laughs> <laughs> he he always seems to pick up a bit of an accent when he's in the southern episodes, but this, this in particular, just he's picking up a southern accent when he's talking. I didn't notice that, and I was waiting for it, too. He definitely does, especially like when he's in the cemetery with Ms. Milne. Oh, I see you. You got your gloves all dirty. You get your gloves all dirty? And like, he's... I was waiting for them to be really sweaty, too. <laughs> yeah, he's a little sweaty. They definitely make him sweaty <laughs> in the South. Uh, the, also, the sweaty thing, that leads me to another one of my points. So when Sam comes out of the diner, he finds Ms. Melanie there and she's like, you left me standing in the heat because you didn't um, you didn't let me in the car. And he's like, well, I didn't leave you standing in the heat because the car door's open. Um, and I'm thinking like, man, that car would be an oven. Yeah, yeah, Why would yeah. she be sitting in the car in the mid- They don't got no air conditioner. You don't want to be sick. Old people can die very easily of heat stroke. Don't. <laughs> Why would she be sitting in that car? Absolutely not. That whole scene I thought was kind of brilliant. Um, not only the fact that, you know, he's got to figure out who this woman is and then he's got to get her into the car, but then he's got to figure out where he needs to go. Yeah. yeah. And oh, he, he's he struggling. very yeah. subtly yeah. and he, it's a swing and a miss. It's a swing. He, he whiffs it every single time. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking when I was watching that scene, like he has to go to like, I don't know, I, I hit my head. Can you help me out here? You know, the fact that he spent so much time at the beginning, just like wandering around. He doesn't know where Miss Melanie is when he goes in that diner. He doesn't even know he's picking up her lunch, you know, like he's got to take all these hints and kind of wander his way around. And I was thinking about that and the, the difference between that and the new series and that like 
it, we don't really see a lot of Ben struggling to figure out who he is or what his situation is. And I think that's part of the, the entertainment of Quantum yeah. Leap. I mean, I don't think like it, they don't have to spend such copious amounts of time. And I think like um, Quantum Leap 89 uh, did eventually stop spending so much time mm-hmm. because eventually you got to get to what's going on in the leap. But uh, it's just kind of interesting to see him detectiving things out. <laughs> detectiving things. <laughs> and maybe it stood out more now um, just because of the weird convergence we're at. I mean, they don't do it at all in the new series. And um, we're at a place in the classic series where they would spend a lot more time on it than they usually do. So it, it makes it that much more, I guess, noticeable in my current headspace. I think the fact that this episode opens with Sam leaps in, he doesn't know that he's a black person. He just knows he is a person at a diner and he's like, I'm going to sit down and eat at this diner. And then he realizes I am a black person and his realization that he's in the 50s South, all of these things that he, that he wouldn't immediately recognize. You see it's like slowly roll over him, uh, everything that this means. And you wouldn't get that in the new show if it's just immediately Addison goes in like, hey, you're a black guy, watch out, you're in the 50s, don't sit at that diner, you know, like, the fact that there's this (laughs) discovery there. (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, just like to, like, it's significant that Sam doesn't know and doesn't realize. Hmm. You know what, now I wonder if that's why they insisted when casting Ben that they cast uh, basically a person of color, um, anyone who wasn't white, essentially. Um, Because, again, like me, a white guy in their 40s in the year 2022 might not necessarily realize that, you know, racism is still as prevalent and such a struggle. And if you put somebody who is a person of color into that situation, when they leap for them, it won't be such an anachronism. It's it's just, you know, it's something that they deal with in different ways in their current reality. It's just now set in this place in this time. And sure, you won't but like, have to have I, that constant rediscovery in the series, right. kind of like Sam has to s- discover it here. You maybe can do a little bit more shorthand for someone who is a person of color because they get it. Yeah, no, I, I think like Ben would understand these things more than Sam. Sure, um, sure. Because, uh, you know, there's also racism against Koreans. You know, it's not just yeah. black people. It might be a different kind of context uh, if he leaped into Jesse, for instance. But, yeah, I think there would be uh, – it would be very different if it was Ben. Um, I just – I don't know. I guess, like, I think the fact that Sam doesn't know and is learning from that is an interesting part of the story that sometimes is lost in the new show because Ben gets his information very quickly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, no arguments here. Yeah. Okay. I had a couple more things. Uh, I learned something from this episode, uh, aside from uh, being a little more aware, I suppose, but uh, I never really thought about the fact there was a time before public trash cans. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then like Al mentions the the pitch-in campaign in the 70s and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." They didn't supply trash cans in public places in the 50s. I'm trying to remember uh, when they started that pitch-in campaign. It must have been the 70s. Uh, hi Sam. <laughs> I remember that now. So when I'm like watching stuff that that predates that, I'm like, "Oh, they didn't have public trash cans back then, you know?" It's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, no, very much so. Um, I never realized how much I took that kind of stuff for granted. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but just follow me here. If you all uh, ever watched Mad Men, uh, the AMC series about the ad, ad execs in the 60s, um, there's a scene where the main family of the show is on a picnic in the park. And they get ready to leave the picnic. And all they do is get up and shake the blanket off and just leave all the trash there. And the guy takes <laughs> his beer can and chucks it into the woods. And I'm just sitting there with my mouth hanging open like, yeah, you, you, you can't do that. What, what are they doing? <laughs> just like, oh, wait a minute. There were no public trash cans. Nobody, you know, like being a litter bug wasn't a thing yet. Anyway, not in the mass consciousness. I think there was a reason when you, when you watch stuff from like the 70s, everything's all like yellow and stinky. You know, and then you like, and then you see like, like, um, everything was all yellow because like pollution was worse and all that. And like, uh, yeah, that's around the time where they're like, hey, let's, let's, uh, put these public trash cans in place and maybe clean the place up a little bit. We're ruining the world. <laughs> I mean, you realize that cinema from the 70s, even though it was trying to be gritty and realistic, was almost as gritty and realistic as, say, Leave It to Beaver was as clean and pristine as the 50s was. I mean, they were just trying for an effect, Allison. Having lived through the 70s, we weren't all slogging around in filth. No, I'm just okay. you know. I don't think everyone was gross in the 70s. I just mean like, I, I did read an article about this once that the, the 70s, like the sky did look different. It was literally because of pollution, it was uglier looking. And they took measures uh, after that since then to help curb some of this stuff. And, and we still need to do that because uh, climate change is very real. But uh, it was a lot worse in the 70s. And I think like, the fact that that's when they introduced public trash cans to be like, hey, let's maybe clean up yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a turning point. Interesting. I learned something as well. When did public trash cans become a thing in the UK, Matt? Or did you always have them? Yeah, I remember always having them. I, I haven't delved into the research because I feel <laughs> certain we must have had a similar kind of history to you. I honestly have no idea. I just remember that by the time, by the time of the mid eighties, my earliest memories, they were everywhere. But, uh, you know, I'm going to look that up. Not right now. I might just be a little aside for Beyond the Mirror Image. Yes. So what else did you learn on this episode, Alice? Oh, okay. So my last note, uh, I just wanted to talk about the extremely intricate mirror shots in the diner. In the diner and outside too, in the they, reflections. They did have some outside, like, but the, the one in the diner, I think was, possibly their most intricate uh, mirror shot that they ever did because especially in season one they were really like they started just doing like cheating in mirrors uh, very close mm. up a lot more as the show went on but this i mean they would build like opposite sets so this was an opposite set shot it was an opposite set wow. it was down to the costumes um, they would they made two versions of them and the ones in the mirror were opposite so that the buttons were on the opposite side and like any text would be opposite and then they had like a, a window and they would have the opposite set on one side and then uh, the normal set on the other and then they would have people sit on the opposite set in their backwards yeah. costumes for uh, alongside uh, the actor playing Jesse wow. for those shots. That's amazing. I mean that's a crazy amount of detail that they have to do and i imagine they had a, a double for ms melanie as well because she mm -hmm. had to be sitting next to him i mean it's it's just a lot and you wouldn't even think about it i didn't think about what they did to get these mirror shots when i first watched the show and then when you learn later about how they had to accomplish yeah. it before they had you know digital compositing and like it's so much easier to do it now but back then that's that's what they did 
You know, I, I thought they were just cheating it in because a lot of it was just so straight on, like Jesse and Melanie sitting next to each other with just some some uh, out of focus, like like a rack focus kind of deal, where you would see sort of the, bat, the quote the back of Sam's head blurry in the foreground, and you would see Jesse and Melanie almost like uh, in like the last shot sitting straight on the same thing with Jesse in the beginning. I didn't know that they went through that entire. That's that's crazy. I mean, that's very ambitious. Yeah, and I think there's a reason that later on they they started yeah. getting yes, more like exactly. he's looking in a car uh, in a window on a, a side window and like you know just like very close up stuff and yeah I think there's a reason they stopped doing them as intricately but uh, really impressed with what they were able to do. I wonder if this episode taught them how to do it the cheat way very effectively too because there are so many wonderful scenes where Sam is outside. And like a door closes. And as the door closes, you see Sam standing there, but Jesse's reflection looking back at him just in the, in in the window. And Mm. obviously, you know, the actor who's playing Jesse is standing off to the side and they're getting just the reflection just right and, and all that. That's the way that they would traditionally do it after they stop building those reverse sets. Am I right? They would just find different angles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and learn how to so. shoot. That I think way. it would just yeah. it would just be cheating it with the 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 mirror at a different angle. Oh, Matt, yeah. we have to track that now that we're doing all these early episodes. We have to track the last time that they do a shot like that. I have my my theory as to the last time where they do an opposite, uh, equal and opposite shot. You know, but don't spoil it. Let's 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 get there when okay. we get there. Yeah, because I'm sure you know. I think I know which one. I, yeah, I, I, I'm I think pretty so too. sure I do too. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see, and it'll be relatively soon. Yes. I don't think we'll yeah. get there before the hiatus is over, but we'll get there. <laughs> those shots are amazing, though, because those cheated shots are mostly clever, but occasionally it's it's really obvious the angles just don't look right. There's just something, and they're so quick that I guess you're not meant to really think about it too much, but when you stop and look, you think that clearly that's reflecting somebody that stood three feet off to the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must have been tight them doing it in the car when they have the like rearview mirror. And you see Jesse's reflection, like that had to have been tight trying to get that shot. I could tell like it was angled a little bit, but I think for the most part, I never really noticed the angles being off on the mirrors, like looking at yeah, it now, like I'm like, I guess if I'm looking for it, but yeah, I guess that's, yeah. that's me for the you most have to part. be looking for it. I mean, I, I was convinced with the angles in Blood Moon, so I'm not the guy to talk to about it. Yeah, I still thought the Blood Moon <laughs> angle was fine. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, guys, any more thoughts you want to start wrapping up? Just one quick observation that just reminded me, uh, just talking about the outside stuff. I don't think we've mentioned, have we, that this is the first time that we see the Dukes of Hazard Courthouse Square that ends up oh, getting reused yeah. in Leap Back and Trilogy. Okay. Right, yeah, they do like have a big sweeping shot of it while Sam's getting a good look at yeah. 50s Alabama. I was wondering yeah. if that was the same town square as in the Leap Back, so thank you for answering that question. Yeah, it's on the Warner Brothers lots. I didn't see any happy milkmen, though. Uh, <laughs> There's also a shot when he's talking to Ms. Melanie on that set uh, where... I think it's maybe... Uh, maybe it's outside the hospital. Maybe it's not quite that set, but there's like some sort of sign... With a reflection, and you could see Scott Bakula pretty clearly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I missed it. Yeah, I was so yeah. caught up in the plight of Nell. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk about Nell. Kimberly Bailey, she was so good. 
Yeah. Yeah. She was so cute. And like she was singing the, the gospel song before she gets driven off the road. Um, really memorable scene. And I guess that's part of why they um they showed it in uh, shock theater. But um, yeah, really good. Uh, and uh, yeah, she just had like a great energy to her. Mm. She, I also noticed that she she does a lot of voice acting now and looping and stuff. She's like a professional right. like looper. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad she's still working. She was one of the highlights, I think, of the episode because every time she came on screen, things got brighter. Again, a very heavy episode, but she she brought some some much needed levity to it. And I don't mean by levity, I mean comedy, but some joy into the proceedings. I mean, she was a bright spot, and um, yeah, you know, it made it that much that much more tragic when they ran her off the road and she was, uh, mm. you know, in in that grave danger. So perfectly cast. Yeah. The fact that they went to all that trouble to get her into the white hospital because it was closer. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, they still say like, well, we transferred her over to the black hospital. <laughs> it's like, we shouldn't be moving her. Like, well, that's, <laughs> you know, I guess like shows like you, you can change things in some ways, but there's still work to be done. Yeah. 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 If if you don't mind, guys, I'm, I'm going to just maybe play off of, of that observation, Allison, for some of my final thoughts. Um, sure. Sort of, um, again... It, them moving her to the black hospital after I guess they they stabilized her enough in the white hospital to quote be with her own kind and Melanie not seeing any problem with that saying you know this is the way it's always been and Sam trying to change your mind I mean that's what this episode meant to me um it's about justice it's about feeling the injustice it's about being angry but at the end of the day it's about fostering positive change incrementally and it's not going to be easy um that final scene we haven't really touched upon this but the entire fourth act it's after uh, nell's accident sam gets out of jail he's walking around in a blood soaked suit and yeah. nobody seems to comment on it. And he, when he sits down in the diner with Melanie, there's blood everywhere all over him. And it's almost as if to say, change is going to come. And um, you can change minds. It might be one mind at a time. It might be incremental, but it's not going to be easy. And you have both sides of the coin here. You have him covered in the blood of the struggle, but you have sort of the hope of the change that's to come. And Another way that the episode just blew me away, complete all-timer for Quantum Leap. It works on so many levels. I'm sure if I went back and watched it again after we were done recording, I'd find more stuff to talk about for another hour. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going to throw it to you guys. Uh, Allison. Yeah, this was a, a great episode. Uh, I th- thought uh, the acting and the writing was all stellar, and I think that it was uh, – a great shift in direction. Like, I think this was, this set them on a good path. Yeah, I, I've got nothing to add to that, really. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it is a really good thought-provoking episode, but still with the action and comedy that, uh, that we've come to know and love from Quantum Leap. So it, it really does set them down that path of becoming what the show would eventually be known for. Yeah, and uh, before we put this discussion of The Color of Truth in the books, just saying, uh, putting the show down the path of what it would become known for, if you guys notice, he leaps out into Kamikaze Kid, and I believe it's the first old boy? I think it might be the first old boy, so we even have that. Is it the first old boy leap out? 
I think so. Yeah. He looks in the mirror, he says, oh boy. And, uh, you know, produced by Donald P. Pelisario. So <laughs> I believe that that will put this discussion about the color of truth in the books. But stay tuned because after the break, we'll be telling you about some new patrons. And we also have a bit of feedback. We will see you on the flip side. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. On the latest episode of Fangit. There's a lot of Star Trek stuff going on in my life right now, so I figured what better to talk about. When other guys my age were kissing girls, I was memorizing the Mike Okuda chronology. <laughs> you may be the only Chakotay cosplayer that ever existed. <laughs> exactly. I was actually that angry fan who didn't like Next Gen because it was usurping my childhood. Remember when the captain would make out with the green-skinned <laughs> women? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you guys are making me want to go and watch the original series now. Can we hurry up and stop this? Very gonna have the captain threaten to punch a woman in the face. <laughs> he was gonna knock her on her ass, thank you very much. Really endearing intro to Archer. I have an NX-01 baseball cap. I have total faith of the heart now. Nice. Riker making pizza was the best part though. <laughs> I would watch a show where it's just Riker making pizza. That's the next spin-off we need. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Come over here, Chris, and let's watch Spock's brain. (laughs) (laughs) There's a spot here just for you. How I've waited for this moment. This is John D'Aquino, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. All right, we are back, and I have some new patrons, guys. Are you ready to give it up? (gasps) Yes! Always. They just keep coming. I'm just so appreciative of our listeners. First one to celebrate is Mr. Adam Krebs. Adam joins us at the $5 Leaper level, and at that level, he will get access to all of our bonus content over on the Patreon site. There's about 25 hours and counting now, including that special where we discussed the 2022 pilot and Sam's appearance in it. We had a great discussion on that one. So good. I had so much fun putting it together. I had so much fun uh, doing that with you guys. So go over there and check it out. But let's give Adam a round of applause. Yay! And our second new patron is another listener from the UK. His name is James Gamble. Give it up for James. Woo! Yay, James! James also joins us at the $5 Leaper level. So thank you, Adam. Thank you, James. In addition to getting all of the bonus content, you will also be getting your Quantum Leap Book Club bookmark. I have already mailed out Adam's. I'm sure that Matt is going to be mailing James any day now and uh, it's going to come just in time because we got a new book show coming after this one but before we uh, talk about that um, we also have some feedback to get through so um, guys these are pretty short so I'm thinking why don't I do the first one Matt you do the second one I mean Allison you do the second one Matt you do the third one okay sure all right so 
First bit of feedback is from another new patron who I mentioned at the top of the Search and Rescue show. His name is Max Blaska, and he just sent the message through the patron site saying, Hi all, love your podcast. Fan of Quantum Leap since the summer between the first and second season. Made a Quantum Leap short film in 1992 with my wow. youth and young adult OCD wow. support group. Now that's Whoa. that's dedicated fandom when fandom was hard. I mean, we didn't have all, you know, cell phones and smartphones to be shooting short films. Yeah. I wonder if he had like the VHS camera like Adam Goldberg, but (laughs) I know that's uh, one of your favorite shows. Uh, (laughs) So I made the short film in 1992 with my youth and young adult OCD support group. The tape is lost to the ages. Oh no, Max, why do you tease us this way? And I made a short film 10 years ago that name drops Sam Beckett and Quantum Leap called Quantum of Vengeance. Cool. Quantum of Vengeance, a Max Blaska production. Max finishes by writing, looking forward to being part of the Quantum Leap podcast family. Well, Max, welcome. You you already are. You're not the look. Welcome. You're in the middle hey. of it. Welcome. Whoa. So, yeah, um, Max, like I said, is a new supporter, but he's not the only new supporter. Allison, why don't you take the next one? The next one comes from Charles from Texas. And I remember Charles from Texas because I run the Twitter account and he's quite active on there. Ah, Uh, Really nice to hear from him. Always got great stuff to say. So here's something else he said. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, folks, I'm at Charles from TX on Twitter. Been following you all since I found that fantastic DP interview where I learned a sequel series was coming. I've really enjoyed the content and the interactions on Twitter. Very glad to become a patron. Thanks for everything you're doing. Keep up the awesome work. Well, thanks, Charles. See, that that Deborah Pratt interview is just the gift that keeps on giving. I feel like so many people have discovered us through that mm. because they were curious about the new show. And when we spoke to Deborah about it, it seemed to, to really reach uh, a lot of the most curious people who wanted to know about the new show but didn't really necessarily know Quantum Leap. Yeah, it was a, a great interview, and I'm really grateful that Deborah Pratt talked to us because at yeah. that point she could say next to nothing about the news she was. But yeah, that was really cool, and I'm glad that she it's, it's got people. <laughs> I'm glad that it's got people listening. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very effective. Um, as as limited as it was, uh, it sure did its job. I'll tell you that she promoted the new show just like they wanted her to. <laughs> <laughs> So this last one uh, is an email. Matt, why don't you take this one? Yeah, sure. So this is an email from Linda Brandt, and she has a theory. Oh, I'm glad you gave me this one, because I love the fan theories. (laughs) I wanted to voice my theory about the use of the song Beyond the Sea. I believe that Ben imagined that song in particular because it subconsciously reminded him of his relationship with Addison. Not only does it conjure images of their beach house, which oh. I still don't understand how they can afford. <laughs> I'm with you there, Linda. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> the lyrics of the song describe a couple separated yeah. beyond the stars and the moon. My heart will lead me there soon. We'll kiss just as before. Ben's hallucinations are a mixture of his memories and his Aww. feelings. Yeah. Uh, on another note, I wanted to make a suggestion. You probably have a lot of new listeners who may not know some of your terminology, such as GTFW. You may want to go over it for the newbies. Thanks, Linda Brandt. Are you saying Thank GTFW you. is Thanks, not, in, you know, it, intuitive? It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's God, time, fate, or whatever. Whatever. Sometimes we just call them GTF dubs. Yeah, um, that was, yeah, GTFW, God, time, fate, or whatever, who's sometimes referred as such, whoever's leaping Sam around throughout Quantum Leap. Um, It's worded in various different ways. I don't remember when they said God, time, fate, or whatever first. 
<laughs> mirror image. Mirror image? It was just mirror image? Yes. Right. I know you've explained this before and I forget yeah, I every feel time. Like, I feel like yeah. we kind of made it up. I feel like that's just an evolution from fandom. It's from fandom. It's not from us. I don't remember where it came uh, into GTFW, but it's definitely something I picked up reading through like fan fiction and stuff. I'm sure it's been used before. But yeah, the uh, the thing about Beyond the Sea, I don't know why I didn't connect that when we were talking about it in that oh ye of little faith but uh yeah definitely the lyrics are about ben and addison i mean it's about someone waiting for someone who to come home you know the woman by the sea kind of thing (laughs) yeah um i didn't think about it hearkening back to their like beach house and stuff like that but yeah definitely yeah, I I just I I didn't want to dwell on it because it would have just given me another excuse to sing more Bobby Darren, which I was already fixated on Clementine on that show, and then I was thinking mm-hmm. of Mac the Knife. So you don't need me singing Beyond the Sea as well because it's <laughs> far beyond the stars, it's near beyond the moon. Ba ba pow. <laughs> All right, <laughs> thank you for the indulgence. Um, yeah, um, it is an obvious, but it, it went right over my head. I got to be honest with you. Because I was too busy being clever. I think we just got caught up in the whole, is this anachronistic and why is it anachronistic? (laughs) Which I think is an interesting detail to go over. But we just got kind of hung up on that. But I mean, yeah, obviously that the song was chosen because the lyrics are about them. So thank you, Linda, for pointing out the obvious. Bad choice at all. I was just trying to debate whether it was (laughs) whether it was intentionally anachronistic or not. But uh, but yeah, it's a good song. It's good for that them as a couple. Very much so, and you can never go far wrong with more Bobby Darren in your life. If you would like to be like Linda Brandt or Charles from Texas or Max Blaska, there are many ways that you can contact us here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can write us a letter at P.O. Box 542 Bayport, New York. 11705. You can call us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. You can go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast podcast just remember we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt tell us what's coming up next so uh, yeah chris as you alluded to earlier it's uh, we're back to the book club uh, for the next episode and uh, we'll be talking all about random measures Ashley McConnell's magnum opus, her final book. Yes. In the book series. Oh my gosh, we're back to the McConnell-verse. Yeah, the McConnell-verse rears its head once again. And I have the book right here in my hot little hands. Would you like me to do the cover blurb or Allison? Do you you want to do it? Who wants to do cover blurb this time? Go for it, man. All right. Lovers and leapers, dot, dot, dot. Will death do them part? Sam's got trouble. He's leaped into a young half-breed Indian named Wiki, with no background, no mission, and no word from Al. Meanwhile, Al's found something more interesting than Sam's mission. A beautiful woman named Jana. Jana Calavici, as in Mrs. Al Calavici. (gasps) But marital bliss may be short-lived as time runs out for Sam. And Al must make a deadly choice. Because helping Sam could change more than Wiki's future, it could erase Jana from his life forever. Quantum Leap, random measures, an all-new adventure. 
First Time in Print by Ashley McConnell. And I know I read this book. I have zero memory of yeah. this book. So it's going to be Same. like reading it for the Same. first time. <laughs> one thing I remember from this book, is this the one that has Sam on the cover with the dock and the dog knocking him over? No, that is Carol's oh. book. That's Carol's book. Um, yeah, I see. That's a different one. Yeah. So I don't remember it then. <laughs> this has got, uh, it looks like an SUV or a Range Rover crashing through a guardrail into a crevasse. And it obviously takes place somewhere in the south, the southwest. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I vaguely recall this. I remember the stuff with Al's timeline being shifted and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's something yeah. that they've explored in, in other books too, but we'll see how it holds up because I don't really remember everything about the book itself. So, okay. Yeah. It'd be good to reread it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, um, it'll be nice to see how Ashley winds up her run as a Quantum Leap author and um, to see if she – because she did this before because she had the, the luxury of doing so. She tied in a lot of her other stuff into her third book. So I wonder if we're going to get like a smattering of, as you said, the McConnellverse, the Quantum Leap McConnellverse uh, for this last bit. Yeah. I, t I swear I remember her like – doing excerpts from her other books but i could be wrong i mean i know that there was a little bit in the beginning of the last one that she did uh, that that tied into the book before it so maybe that's what i was thinking of but we'll find out right mm. in random measures <laughs> it will be interesting to see and i can't wait to find out with both of you until then i have been christopher defilippus i've been allison pregler and i've been matt dale and we'll see you next time Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. You hear the rain tapping against the window here. It's such a shitty day. It's so nasty out. Oh, I love that kind of weather. <laughs> That's just an average day for you, isn't it? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful English day. Yeah. I've got to love it, otherwise... <laughs> I don't know how it survived this country. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, my British friend, the other British Matt, uh, he was telling me about uh, in his backyard, they have a hedgehog hut for their the hedgehogs that visit the garden. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Hedgehog hut? Can you just buy a hedgehog hut? Like, in, is that a thing? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, you could just go and buy a hedgehog hut. <laughs> Yeah, garden centres here have all kinds of shit for people that care about the local wildlife. I, I have never invested in such a thing. But there's, yeah, there's there's huts and dens and 
spikes and pillars for all kinds of animals. It's just adorable. What a fairy tale land you live in. <laughs> Can that be part of the blooper reel? Just me saying seagulls are fuckers. No context. <laughs> when I lived in Arizona, we would hear coyotes at night. That was pretty cool. Oh, okay, as long as they weren't trying to attack you. Or is it wolves no, that get the bad no, rap? I, ne- I never <laughs> saw one. I lived there in, until I was in my mid-20s. Uh, I was born in Arizona, but I never saw a coyote except, like, at the zoo. But you would hear them. That's cool. At night. And, you, you know, you wouldn't want to, like, leave cats out or anything. But, uh, but, yeah, they were pretty cool. Growing up, I thought coyotes only existed in the mind of Warner Brothers. <laughs> like, like, it was just they- something that they invented. <laughs> Apparently they um there's some around Chicago and they wander into Chicago occasionally but I mean I don't live in that area so I wouldn't see them there either but that's crazy huh <laughs> and to Matt's point the first time I saw a picture of a real roadrunner I said that looks nothing like the roadrunner what are they talking oh, about yeah yeah we'd, oh, I'd see roadrunners <laughs> right. all the time over there there was ca- always catching lizards and stuff <laughs> wait hang hang on roadrunners are real <laughs> no roadrunners <laughs> What? What? I gotta, I gotta Google this shit. What? They don't look like the cartoon. Yeah, nothing like the cartoon. Yeah, I don't believe. I think you guys have me. Holy shit, they actually exist. <laughs> I didn't know. Tell us what's coming up next. Well, next, as you, you alluded to earlier, Chris, um, we're back to the book club, and it's uh, the fabulous Search and Rescue. Oh, we've got a lot of stuff to say about that. Oh, guess what? We already did Search yeah, and Rescue. Yeah, I just we did Search and Rescue. I was <laughs> like, this came... Been, it's the fabulous... Has that been released then? Yeah, it's yeah. It's been released. Yeah, it was released I was like, what? Week. Did we leap into Jesse again? Run a loop? That's going to be so good for the blooper reel. <laughs> sorry, I, I was just going with it because I, I know we don't always yeah, record no, these sorry, in order. Just, so I what's... goes up against it. I didn't get all the way down to the bottom. No, no, that's, we, that's fine. Are we doing the next Search Book Club? It's random measures. So you might want to, you know, Throttle back on the fabulous. <laughs> to, to be fair, I don't think either of them are fabulous. So I mean, <laughs> he's taking a train right? He was on that damn train. Oh my god, he was gonna squish Miss Melanie. <laughs>